Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, we are, welcome to Mercy Hill Church. Um, we are two and a half years into a church plant over here. If this is your first time here today, uh, thank you for coming. But um, we, are, we are in a series called The King and His Kingdom. And so amongst Living Word and Crosspoint and ourselves, we are doing this series. And the message that I get to bring today is one on finances. And so we've been here for two and a half years, and I've had zero messages on finances. So if this is your first time here today, welcome. We're going to talk about money, okay? Uh, it's, it's kind of this odd thing of like, okay, i got to talk about money. Is this... What about the new people? Are we one of those churches? All these things that, you know, keep playing in my head. But I want to just uh, introduce this topic by way of video. And so we're going to watch a three and a half minute video. Um, yes, we are that high tech. Um, but we're going to watch a video and then we're going to come up and, and we're going to give the message. So, Brett, if you want to play that, please. I don't know what you feel about the prosperity gospel the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But I'll tell you what I feel about it. Hatred. It is not the gospel. And it's being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor. Believe this message. Your pigs won't die. Your wife won't have miscarriages. You have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. That's coming out of America. The people that ought to be giving our money and our time and our lives instead selling them a bunch of crap called gospel. And here's the reason it is so horrible. When was the last time that any American, African, Asian ever said, Jesus is all satisfying because you drove a BMW? Never. They'll say, Jesus give you that? Yeah. Well, I'll take Jesus. That's idolatry. That's not the gospel. That's elevating gifts above giver. I'll tell you what makes Jesus look beautiful. is when you smash your car and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and lands like dead on the street. And you say, through the deepest possible pain, God is enough. God is enough. He is good. He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you and on earth? There's nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart and my little girl may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That makes God look as God not as giver of cars or safety or health oh how I pray that America would be purged of the health wealth and prosperity God and that the Christian church would be marked by suffering for Christ God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him in the midst of loss not prosperity
I don't know if that was clear about what, how John Piper feels about the prosperity gospel. But it's a very serious thing when we begin to talk about finances because so quickly we can get skewed, even just the mention of it in church. We can have walls being built or past experiences where we have been burned or we have seen things that have not, that has not glorified God in the midst of talking about those things. And so I hope today, even before we, we start off to talk about these things, that we would come with an open heart to God's word and ask God to speak to us through his word about what is appropriate when we begin to talk about money. We've got, I'm going to go to three different places this morning. And so, number one, I want to talk about Jesus and how everything points to him. Secondly, I want to talk about sowing and reaping as a principle for all of life. And then third, I want to talk about sowing and reaping specifically about finances. And so the first two, I'm going to kind of roll through rather quickly, going looking at a number of different passages. And then the third point, we're going to spend a little more time there. So kind of hold on to these first two points, and then we'll get to the third point, and we'll slow down a little bit and talk about um, sowing and reaping in the regards to finances. When we started this series, week number one, we began to talk about Jesus Christ and how everything Everything points to Jesus. If you remember back in Daniel 2, verses 35, looking through the verses in 45, Daniel had this vision of this rock that was hewn out, not by human hands, that rolled down, and there was a great huge statue that represented the different nations of the world. And here this rock smashed to pieces all the other kingdoms of the earth. And that rock itself then became a great, huge mountain that filled the whole earth. So we see right from the very beginning God's purpose in making his kingdom and his king glorious in all the earth. That in everything, Jesus Christ, as it says in Colossians, might be preeminent. That he would be the rock that would become a great mountain, that his glory would fill the earth. In Revelations 4, verses 9 through 11, you can turn there. We get a scene in heaven, and here in heaven we're in the throne room, and and John, his eyes are opened, and what he sees is staggering. Revelation 4, it's the last book of the Bible, and here in chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, this is what we read. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And so right from... From the very beginning, we see Jesus Christ is the king of this kingdom that is filling the whole earth. And right to the end of time, we, we still continue to see Jesus Christ. If you notice in there, he sits upon the throne. He sits upon the throne. They lay the crowns before. He wants you to know something. He is seated upon the throne. There is no rivals. That he is glorious and majestic. That by his very will, he spoke everything into existence. And all of our lives and everything in this world is held together 
by His will alone. And so it is all about Jesus. Our lives, our families, our churches, our communities, the way we engage with one another, our relationships, it is all about Jesus. That's the bedrock of everything we do. We point back to Jesus. The songs that we sing point back to Jesus. Everything we do points to Jesus. It is all about him. All right, number two. We're going to talk about sowing and reaping as a principle for all of life. This is God's design and order. And I realize as I talk about sowing and reaping, I could probably spend the next year just talking about sowing and reaping and all the different aspects of it in our lives. It's not limited to just finances. It is a huge spectrum. And so we're going to talk about this, but I'm only talking about a, a little slice of this thing. And I wish I had... I wish I had you know, months and months and, and years to unpack this, but we're going to go through this quickly. So sowing and reaping as a principle for all of life. Let's look at just agriculture, okay? Genesis 1, 11, Genesis 1, 20, verse 20 and through 22, we see that God has ordered the earth. He says plants give, give seed for the same kind of plants when you get an apple tree and it has apples or seeds for an apple tree. It works that way for agriculture. He said animals, the same thing. When you have a bear, it gives birth to another bear. When you, you know, it's just, that's the way that God has ordered the world. That's the way God has ordered everything. There is, there is a, a sowing and reaping. You sow an apple seed, you get an apple tree. Every single time. Not only that, in agriculture, but there's also a spiritual sowing and reaping. So if you want to turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. This is what the Apostle Paul, writing to the church, is what he says. Do not be deceived. So he gives us a little warning. Don't be deceived. Why does he do that? He, he does that because we're tempted to believe that my sowing has no effect on the things that I'm going to reap. There is a deception that I have. I think, look, the things that I do, the things that I say, the way that I live my life has little effect in the way in which I reap. He says, look, don't be deceived. I'm just telling you, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so he's saying, look, there's a spiritual dimension to sowing and reaping. And he goes and he talks about that in Galatians chapter 5. He talks about the, the works of the flesh, the works of the Spirit. And he says, look, as we begin to sow into these things, don't be deceived, there will be a harvest that is coming. There is a spiritual harvest to your lives. It's a reality that God says, look, this is the way I've ordered things. It's a sowing and reaping in our spiritual life. But he says, look, it doesn't stop there. There's also a relational sowing and reaping. Look at Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. And he says, and let us not grow weary in doing good. There's also a warning, because we grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. It says, even relationally, as we interact with other people, there is a sowing and reaping. It says, don't grow weary in doing good. 
Because there is a harvest that is coming. There is relational sowing and reaping. So there's an agricultural sowing and reaping that just the way God has ordered things. There's a spiritual sowing and reaping. There's a relational sowing and reaping. There's, there's tons of other things we could talk about. Those are the big three. Now, we're going to get to what we've came to talk about today. Sowing and reaping and finances. Now, as I say that, I want us to remember what, we, what the first point was. That it is all about Jesus. Okay, sowing and reaping financially is all about Jesus. There's a story of the guy who came up to the pastor after church one day and he said, Pastor, when I was making $30,000 a year, I was able to give $1,000 a week to the church. And now that I'm making $150,000 a year, I can't afford to give anything to the church. He said, would you please pray for me? The pastor said, no problem, let's pray. Pastor says, Lord, we pray for this man that you would bring him back to making $30,000 a year. (laughs) Proverbs 11, verse 24, you don't have to turn there, it says this, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So what prevents us from giving? What prevents us from sowing? As I was thinking this week, what is it that that would prevent me, what prevents me in my heart from being able to give generously and freely? What is it that when I think about my own life, the opportunities that I've had to give, and the times that I've turned it down, I'm not perfect in this. This is something that we still work through and, and, and struggle with, and this isn't something like we've arrived, and so therefore let me tell you all about this. But I think in my own heart, what is it? What prevents me? I feel like number one, it's fear. Well, if, if, and it makes sense, right? If I give on Sunday and that bill comes due on Wednesday, how am I going to pay that bill? Or what if I give and my car breaks down? What if I give and I want to go out with my friends on Friday night, have fun, and I can't afford to do this? What if? I mean, there's all these what ifs. What if, I, what if this happens? What if there's always these contingencies? And it's fear that locks my heart up from being able to give generously. I think I thought about this this week, and as I was thinking about this, I was reminded that about, I think a month ago, a month and a half ago, there was an opportunity for Michelle and I to give towards some kinds of missions work. And I don't remember exactly what kind of missions work it was, but it was a missions work with an opportunity to give towards it. And we discussed and we said, okay, let's, let's give a certain amount of money towards this missions work. And so we gave the money towards the missions work, and that's fine, and, and it, was, it was an opportunity to do that. Well, three days later in the mail, I got, it was, it was a letter, it was an envelope, and in the envelope was a check made out to myself. And on the check was a little post-it note, it, says, it just said, be blessed. And I've never, no one's ever sent me money in the mail like that before, no one's ever sent a check we didn't give with the hope of like, hey, maybe we'll get some back this week kind of thing. We just gave. But that check was for the same amount as I had given a couple days earlier. And I just felt like it wasn't, it wasn't about, okay, wow, we got our money back. That was a real good investment, Lord. Thank you. Let's do this again next week, you know. I felt like it was the Lord kindly speaking to me and saying, I can provide. I can do this. It, it, it's... For me, it's, I can provide 
resources from places. And I, this person that sent me this check does not go to church here. I haven't talked to them in years. It wasn't like we, were just, we caught up the other day and then they sent me a check. I haven't seen this person in years. From out of the blue, just send a check in the mail. And it just was a reminder, like, God can provide these things. When I, as I think about, like, Lord, how is this going to work? What if, I, what if my car breaks down? What if my water heater goes out? What if I get a, a leaky roof? And what, all these what-ifs happen. And I thought the Lord just gently remind me as I got that check, see, it's no small thing for me to provide when you, don't, when you least expect it from the least expecting place. So fear prevents us. But also, number two, I believe greed. Now, pastoring, I've talked with a lot of people. And people have come to me and said, I'm angry, I am I am um, I'm, I'm hot-tempered, I am lazy, I am full of lust, I'm full of pride. I mean, there's all these things that people come and say, look, pray for me about this. Not a single person has ever come to me and said, you know what, I'm greedy. I'm greedy, and I love money. I can't get enough. No one's ever said that to me. We don't think that about ourselves. When we think about ourselves, I doubt any of us here, when we think about the things that God wants to change in our lives, I thought we think, you know, I'm a greedy person and God wants to change that. That just isn't even on our radar. But greed is a strong desire for more. When we think about what we have, we say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. If I had a little bit more, I'd be okay. Just a little bit more. There's a story of a guy who was talking to his friend and he said, last month my aunt died and left me $25,000. Last week, my brother died and left me $38,000. And he said, I'm so depressed. And his good friend said, why are you so depressed? And he said, because this week, nobody died. The truth is that we're never satisfied. We are never satisfied. Think about that. When, when, when you get, a, when you get a, like a new car or, for me, a new used car, um, you know, it's like, man, this, this thing is the bomb. This thing is awesome. I remember I got my, my, my Pontiac G6, and I'd, the car that I'd driven before that was more like, like an urban assault vehicle. And now I've got like this Pontiac G6, and I'm like, man, this car is hot. Man, I am, this is awesome. I'm, my cool factor has gone through the roof on this one. But within a couple of weeks, it was like, man, that car ain't so cool. I mean, there's tons of other cool cars out there, man. Why did I get this, you know? And so we're never satisfied. We are never satisfied. Think about our finances. We never quite have enough. And I remember hearing um, John Leitzel preach about, they took a poll of people in America, how much they make, how much would, would be just enough for you to live a little more comfortably, that you think reasonably, if I had this much more, things would be all right. And across the board, it was 20% more. Everyone said, if I had said 20% more, then I would be okay. Just a little bit. I'm not talking millions more. Just for those who are making $200,000 a year and those making $20,000 a year. Everybody said, if I just had 20% more, I'd be okay. We're never satisfied. Now, let's get to uh, our point number three. All right, if you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to spend a little more time in this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As you're turning there, I'll give you the background. Chapters 8 and 9 in 2 Corinthians are 
verses or chapters about giving and money. The church in Jerusalem at the time that this was written was, was, was very hard-pressed financially. Lots of poverty, lots of need, great needs. We see this in Acts 4. If you remember, people would sell properties in houses to give to the, the people who had need. So already from the very beginning of the church, Jerusalem was a place that had great needs. So much so, people had to sell properties and houses and stuff to take care of the needs of the people in the Jerusalem church. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, decides, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take up an offering. We're going to take up an offering for the Jerusalem church. And we're going to collect money from all the, the, the local churches that have been planted through Paul's ministry and, and otherwise. And we're going to do is we're going to come back to the mother church in Jerusalem with a financial gift to be a blessing and to care for those great needs in Jerusalem. And so the Apostle Paul is traveling through Philippi and Thessalonica, and he's receiving offerings and money for the Jerusalem church from areas at the time that were greatly persecuted and had received tremendous financial loss due to their faith in Christ. So Paul here is amongst the people who are severely persecuted, taking up a tremendous offering from these persecuted Christians who had lost tremendous amounts of money and homes and everything else due to their faith. And he's saying, look, these guys have given substantially to the work and ministry in Jerusalem. And now Paul is going to travel to Corinth. He says, look, Corinth is, is a little bit upper, upper class, a little more wealthy. And so he's, he's sending his letter on ahead to the church saying, look, these brothers of yours over here in Philippi and Thessalonica, man, they don't have anything. And man, they've given substantially. And from what I hear, that offering that I've asked you guys to take has not really happened yet. You guys haven't really followed through with this yet. So it's going to be really embarrassing if we, if this whole uh, group of men come to Corinth from all these other churches who give substantially, and you guys in Corinth are like, oh, you know, we forgot about that, or yeah, we'll get to that next week. You know, it won't be good for you guys. It won't be a good reflection of what God has done in your church. And so Paul is gathering the money, and he sends Titus on ahead to get the offering ready. He says, look, get this thing ready so when we show up, it's not embarrassing for this church because they've done nothing with this. Now let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. And in this passage, we're giving the motivation for and the result of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. And the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So in this passage, we're given the motivation and the results of giving. So here's the motivation and result. So why do we give? Why, do, why is this important for us to take a Sunday morning to talk about giving? Number one, here's the motivation that we would honor God with our lives. We see it in verse 14. Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Here's what Paul is saying. So your giving is a visible demonstration that God is at work in your lives, allowing you to meet the needs of others. I had a friend of mine who's a little bit older than me. When he was a younger man, helped one of his friends steal a motorcycle. And he knew the guy that they'd stole the motorcycle from. And I believe this was 30 years later. He had this conviction on his heart. Hey, I helped a buddy of mine steal this guy's motorcycle. And I still know the guy that we stole the motorcycle from. And I've got this thing going on inside of me here that's saying, look, you need to do something about this. It's been 30 years and that bike's long gone, but you need to make this right. It was the Lord speaking to him. And so he called the guy up and he said, look, I I helped steal your motorcycle 30 years ago. I don't have the bike anymore. I don't know what happened to the bike, but can we get together and let me just tell you and say I'm sorry for what I've done. So he got together with the guy and, and the guy didn't say, okay, you need to buy me a new motorcycle or you better make this right right now kind of thing. But they had a good discussion. And as I thought about this, There is an evidence in this guy's life. It is an overflow of the work that God has done in him that is a testimony to this person that, look, 30 years ago when I was not following Christ, I lived a certain way. I did certain things. I wronged you. Now that I have given my life to Christ, everything has changed. There is an overflow of my life that I want to be honest with you and make right what I've done. Here's the result. It's thanksgiving to God because of generosity. It's thanksgiving to God. There, as, we want to, as we would seek to honor God with our lives, as we would seek to display the work of God in our lives towards others, in our giving, there is a thanksgiving to God because of generosity. This is what it says in verses 11 and 12. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Saying, look, by your giving, by your generosity, there is an overflow of thanksgiving to God that occurs. Number two, motivation. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would be made visible in our lives. 
Verse 13 reads this, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. They're saying, look, there is this reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ that has so affected your life that we can't help but give. Not just give, but give generously. Now he goes back in 2 Corinthians 8, a chapter earlier, in eight verses, chapter 8, verse 9, he says this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, by, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Here's what he's saying in this. He says, look, Jesus Christ knew the glory and the majesty of heaven. Gave it all up to, to come to earth, born in a stable, rejected by men, despised by the leaders, lived a perfect sinless life on this earth, giving his very life at the end, being rejected by everybody, his own followers abandoning him at the moment he needs him most. He was broken, he was beaten, he was spit upon, he was despised, and he, he gave his life so that through his death, we might have eternal life. That we might experience life. That we might experience a relationship with God. That we might experience eternal life with him forever. That we would no longer know God's wrath upon our lives, but only God's favor and blessing. That we would know relationship with God. That through Jesus Christ and his humiliation and his death upon the cross, that we would be blessed with all the riches of heaven because of Jesus Christ. Here's the result. That God is glorified in our lives. That God is glorified in our lives. That's the hope. That's the hope. We want God to be glorified. Remember, it is all about Jesus. And our hope in our giving is that Jesus Christ would be glorified. That people would see, look, there is something different about you. The way that you have chosen to spend and invest your, your money is a revelation that there's something else going on that I don't get. You don't look like everyone else does. You don't prioritize the things that the world prioritizes. You don't spend your money the way the world spends its money. Why is that? Why do you look different? Because I've been changed by the gospel. Because I've been affected by Jesus Christ. His life is now inside of me, and the things that were so important for me at one point are no longer this thing that holds a, 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 a chain around me. That the very things that I could take what I have, what God has given to me, to use for His glory and send it on ahead. And give it away. And sow into the things that are eternally important. The result is God is glorified in our lives. So that's not only the reason we give, but I also want to talk about reaping. So that's the sowing aspect. And what about the reaping aspect of it? We reap a harvest for God's glory. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. It says this, He who supplies seed and, and the sower, who, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply 
your seed so that you can go out and buy great big things for yourself. Let me read that again. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's an increase as we give. There's an increase that God brings back to us. What's it for? Is it so that we can kind of make this weird investment system with God that we can give a little and maybe get a little more back and therefore I can get that that new car that I've always wanted? He says, no, no, look. Even in our reaping, it is for the glory of God. He says, he says, look, supply and multiply your seed for sowing. That even what we get is another reason and cause for us to continue to give out more. To continue to sow, to continue to, to, to be able to advance God's kingdom through the things that we have. Even through our receiving, is it an opportunity for us to give glory to God? And start that process all over again. Start the process all over again. Even our reaping is for the purpose of more sowing for God's glory. I want to end in this. I know everyone's getting hungry. Pizza, you can smell the pizza, right? My grandma Leap, my grandma Leap, my dear, dear grandma Leap, um, she, to me, was such an example of what it meant to faithfully live before God. And I remember from a very, very early age, going over to her home, and she would have this little little piggy bank, this little jar, looked kind of like an old-time like milk jug kind of thing. And on, the, on it was like this sticker with like missionaries and stuff on there with verses and stuff. And, I, and as a little kid, you're like, why do you got this jar of like change always around? You know, what's the point of this? And she said, oh, that's for, that's for missionaries. And from the earliest, from my earliest memories, my grandma, who never had a driver's license, stayed at home, took care of her family, took care of her husband, lived a simple, quiet life was continuing to sow into missions for a lifetime. And I think if my mom, I don't know if my mom's here, but I think she had that little, did she have that little missionary penny jar when, when you were younger? Always had it. So let's just say for 60 years, 60 years, she had this little, little jar for missions. Missions were important to her. She faithfully prayed and gave towards missions. And one of her prayers was that she would have a grandchild who would be a missionary. That's the one thing she always prayed for. And I think about her life and the way that she just faithfully gave her change, didn't have, at least to her knowing, didn't really have any money, and um, gave and gave and gave. And she prayed that one day that she would have a grandson that would be a missionary. And in her, in our family, um, we had, there was, for my grandma, there was three cousins who were pastors. Another one of my cousins who married a pastor. And sure enough, one of my other cousins is a missionary in the Philippines. And I think sowing and seeing the fruit of righteousness, what kind of harvest is there? And I think when she gets to heaven, she's in heaven now. When she got there, I can imagine this line of people waiting to meet her. This little, little, little piggy bank, little jar that she had for 50 or 60 years, keeping a little 
piece of change in there so she can give to missions, saying, you have no idea that your giving to missions affected me forever. And you can imagine over 50 or 60 years sowing into missions, what that would look like when she got to heaven. The, 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 the line of people waiting to meet her that she, she'd never met before. Think, what an awesome, awesome harvest that will be. Say, oh Jesus, thank you for allowing us to be able to give so that you would be glorified across the earth, so that other people would bring glory to your name, so that your gospel would be proclaimed in all the earth. I want to go back to Revelations 4, verse 9. We're going to close with this verse. Revelations 4, verses 9 and 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created." I think one day we'll get to heaven and we'll get these crowns and we think, is it for my own enjoyment? Is it so that I can have the bling in heaven and walk around the streets of gold? I don't know if you caught that in verse, in verse 10, that even the crowns that we receive in heaven, we get a chance to lay before the feet of Jesus Christ. That even in heaven... It is still all for his glory. That even the harvest we receive in heaven for our good deeds is an opportunity to glorify God with our lives. It's an opportunity to lay before Jesus everything that we have, that he would be glorified in our lives. It is not about us. It is all about Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that the gospel, your good news has affected our lives so deeply that even the way that we spend our money is affected. Jesus, thank you that you've come and you've given us the riches of heaven, a relationship with you, the hope of eternal life. Jesus, thank you. And God, I pray that we leave here today that we in our hearts would be affected by the hope that you would be glorified in all that we do, in all that we say, and in the way in which we spend and give and save that which you have already given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.